0: I'd love for you to grab a Bible, uh, and I'd love for you to go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'd love to read a passage together and then pray with you, and then we're going to unwrap it. Uh, Paul says this, Ephesians 5, we have it on the screen for you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Don't need to make that case. Therefore, verse 17, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, God, I pray that this moment you teach us, that your presence would Uh, be very evident to us your word would land in our hearts your holiness would be something that would break through in our lives and that your church would come alive and I pray that the spirit of God would pursue and chase those who might be listening to this who don't know Jesus that God your spirit might fill those who do know Christ so that we might come alive to your presence and your purposes in a new and a fresh way I pray this in Jesus name amen Hey, we're in this series, and I read this comment. It says, if I were Satan, author wrote this, if I were Satan, and I'm not, by the way, but if I were Satan, he says, and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, he says, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, To a large degree, Satan has been successful with that plan. God the Father, we can relate to, we can picture, we can have all kinds of imagery. God the Son, we talk about a story, the the Easter, Christmas story, everything in between, teachings of Jesus. But when we get to God the Holy Spirit, entirely different story. In fact, uh, each of the last two weeks, we've read to you a startling statistic George Barna put out that nearly 60% of Americans who regularly attend Christian church say there's no such thing as the Holy Spirit. They say the Holy Spirit is just a symbol of God's power or his presence or purity. Uh, that's exactly why we're doing this series, because uh, I agree that one of Satan's strategies, if he could get us to ignore the Holy Spirit, and we've said this, the Holy Spirit is a person to know and to relate to. The Holy Spirit isn't uh, Casper, the friendly ghost, right? Isn't the Christian's battery pack. He's not any of that. He's not a power to leverage. He's a person to know. He's a person to relate to, and he is God. When we baptize people, Matthew 28, you can read it, check me on it. We baptize them in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? He is God. Uh, he, He is part of the Trinity, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But we said first week that, that the Holy Spirit of God is a vital part to God's story from the first page of God's story, Genesis 1, to the final page, Book of Revelation, Holy Spirit all through. And we talked about that week one. And then we said this, that he's not only a vital part of God's story, essential part of our story. It is impossible for you to become a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Pastor Aidan taught us this last week. It's the Holy Spirit who breathes spiritual life into our spiritual deadness. That's regeneration. The moment we say yes to Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit who indwells us, that our bodies become this new address for God. Holy Spirit lives within. We said this last week. The minute you say yes to Jesus, you're sealed and secured in his love. You have a new identity. You're his child, a seat at the table. And then we said it's the Holy Spirit who convicts. He shows us what we need. He reminds us of who we are. He's the great hound of heaven, one poet put it. And he chases and he pursues and he's pursuing some of you this moment. We talked about that. It's impossible for you to become a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit's work. But today, for a few brief moments, I want to talk about it's impossible to live the Christian life and be the church of Jesus Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. Uh, One Author and commentator put it this way, we cannot expect to become the people of God who do the work of God apart from the Holy Spirit of God. I don't, let me read that again. We cannot expect to become the people of God who do the work of God apart from the Holy Spirit of God. And The fear is this, is that we could create a church culture that doesn't need the Holy Spirit. Uh, We simply need more marketing, better programming, uh, more refined facilities, uh, maybe more skilled people, whatever it might be. But we can actually uh, program the Holy Spirit right out of our plans that's the fear. Uh, we can do that in our Christian walk. I just need 10 steps to being a better person, to having my best life now. And we can make this whole Christian experience something that doesn't need the Holy Spirit. And yet it is impossible for you and I to live the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit. It's impossible for us to be the church of Jesus Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. And there's many things we could talk about this weekend. Uh, we can make a list of all the things the Holy Spirit does in the Christian's life and the church of Jesus Christ. And that would be a great way to approach this. But uh, what I've decided to do this weekend is focus on this one passage we read. And I want to focus on it kind of like a funnel that starts with one phrase and then looks out and we're going to broaden the context. I want to start with this. He says, instead, say with me, instead, be filled with the spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's what i want to look at just for a few brief moments. What does that mean? Uh, I want to look at how does that happen? And then what are some of the results? First, let's start with what does that mean? What does that mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Uh, Let's start with what we know it doesn't mean based on what we've already taught. It doesn't mean that uh, the Holy Spirit fills empty Christians who need the Holy Spirit but don't have the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit indwells the follower of Christ, the believer at the moment of salvation. Romans 8, 9, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you do not belong to Jesus, so this doesn't mean that we're asking him to come fill us. We're empty of the Holy Spirit. We need him to like, keep filling us, come back, come back. It's also not a command to look for an experience. It's not The filling of the Holy Spirit is not the same as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 12, that the Holy Spirit immerses us. That's what baptism means. Immerses us into the family of God. There's many people today seeking this filling as though it's this separate experience, this second experience that they have. And and it's evidenced in some crazy things. And maybe you've been familiar with this, like all kinds of phenomenons and experiences. That's not what he's talking about. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? If you're taking notes, write this down. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be constantly aware of, permeated with, that's what the word means, and controlled by the presence of Jesus or God in my life. Uh, When I say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in my life. We talked about that last week. You need to know that. Uh, I have at the moment of my salvation, when I say yes to Jesus, I have all of the Holy Spirit in me. But the question of filling is this, does the Holy Spirit have all of me? Uh, I have all the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, The word that he uses filled to be filled with the Spirit is actually kind of an interesting word that we might miss. Uh, You can forget this if you don't like this kind of stuff or don't understand. Maybe you're not an English major, but it's the present passive imperative form of a verb. Literally, he's saying this, uh, be being kept filled. That doesn't sound right, right? Be being kept filled. It's like a passive verb. It's like, uh, I want this to be continual, And it's you allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you. The Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, be being filled by him is what he's saying. He makes an interesting comparison, I think, that may help us get our head around it. He says, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he contrasts it to being drunk. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. He contrasts it with getting drunk on alcohol. And he says not to get drunk on wine because it leads to, and there's a cool word, debauchery. Uh, raise your hand out there if you've used that three times this week, right? <laughs> Nobody, I hope, raised their hand. All right we don't use that word. Now, that word is literally a word that means wastefulness, uh, excessive indulgence and in sensual pleasures, wickedness, depravity. That's what it means. And, and I've heard this passage right here I've heard it used, preached on the evils, or I've even heard it preached on the freedoms of alcohol. Uh, People use this, I've heard this passage preached more about alcohol than being filled with the Spirit. Uh, People will preach it and say, well, alcohol is bad, getting drunk is bad, and that's obvious in there. Uh, I've heard others say, well, this passage tells you that alcohol is not bad, getting drunk is what's bad, right? Right? Uh, and, and so there's a freedom that we have in Christ. It's like, I've, I've heard it preached about alcohol and there's some like, okay, but the point he's making here is he's contrasting being filled with the spirit. Don't be drunk on wine, which leads to this. Instead, be filled with the spirit, which leads to some things we're going to talk about. And there's some similarities between being drunk with something, another substance and being filled with the spirit. Now think about this, when someone is intoxicated with alcohol, they are permeated with the presence of alcohol. That's why their blood alcohol level is what you test, right? Um, they are uh, permeated with the presence of alcohol. So I drink it in my mouth, but it covers, it's in, my, it's in all my bloodstream. So I'm permeated with it. Uh, so when I'm intoxicated, I'm permeated with the presence of alcohol. Uh, then somebody who's intoxicated, they're controlled by it. They're controlled by the alcohol. All of a sudden, less and less, they're in control, and the alcohol is what's controlling. It's the alcohol that's talking. It's why you hear this phrase, they're under the influence. And eventually, everyone around them recognizes the presence of the alcohol in them. They are drunk. So they act ways they wouldn't normally act. Uh, They become more brazen, become more bold. They become more angry. Maybe they cry, more emotional. I remember... uh, Biggest, one of the biggest dad fails I had was uh, my daughter was young, and the very first Avatar movie came out, and I saw the uh, advertisement of it. She was just young, and, and I didn't pay attention to the advertisement. I just saw these blue figures running around. look looked like a fantasy. It looked like something a little girl would like to go watch. And so we're having a daddy-daughter date, and I took her to watch avatar not knowing at all what it was i thought it was like some version of the smurfs on steroids or something i don't know and uh so we went into this movie theater i didn't know what we were getting ready to walk into by the way if you've never seen avatar it's not a version of the smurfs okay but i walked into the movie theater and lo and behold not only was i getting ready to take her to a movie that once i saw it start i thought this is not the movie i would have chosen to bring my daughter to but while we're in the movie theater uh, i happened to have a guy who was drunk try to pick a fight with me. So I'm there on a date with my uh, middle school age daughter. I don't know how old she was at the time. And this guy is drunk in the lobby. And for some reason, he pinpointed me and he wanted to fight me. And here's the deal. He was saying things. I bet you the guy's a nice guy. I bet you the guy, actually, maybe even a calm guy. I don't know. But he was saying things that I don't think he would otherwise say. And see, that's what happens when someone's intoxicated. Uh, Let me just stop for a minute. And, and talk to some of you out there, you're suffering in silence. I talk to people all the time, suffering in silence. For some of you, alcohol is a problem. Uh, I have people come into my house all the time and they'll say, alcohol, I don't have a problem with alcohol, and I'll ask them a question. Is alcohol causing a problem? In your relationships, in your marriage, is alcohol causing a problem? In your workspace, is alcohol causing a problem? If alcohol is causing a problem, then you probably have an alcohol problem. But what I want you to know is this, alcoholism begins as a thinking problem that turns into a drinking problem that further convolutes my thinking problem. Uh, Alcohol is a depressant. You can read all this, study all this, and it skews or dilutes reality so I don't have to feel it, but I also can't navigate it, so I'm controlled by it. It becomes this cycle. Now, I think it's fair to make the comparison what Paul was trying to do here in some fashion. uh, He's saying, I want you not to be controlled by alcohol. I want you to be permeated by the presence of God in your life. I want you to be controlled by the power of God in your life, the presence of the power of God in your life in such a way that people will recognize it. And the power of the presence of God in your life doesn't skew reality, but it refines it. It brings it into focus. He's saying, don't be drunk on wine. It skews reality. But he says, I want you to be filled with the Spirit. He opens your eyes to the reality and the presence of God who helps you navigate the realities of life. But, but I'll be honest with you, I think there's more depth here to this. Like, I've heard this preaching, and that's a fine comparison, and I think those things work. Be permeated with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit so that it's evident you're filled with the Spirit. I think that's what he's saying. I think that's fair. But but I think there's something deeper here. Remember, when the church began, book of Acts chapter 2, check me on this. Uh, the apostles that were afraid, some of them deserted Jesus. Uh, some of them denied Jesus. Uh, now they're preaching, and the church is beginning, Acts chapter 2. There's a boldness about them. They're proclaiming the name of Jesus, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And God, Acts 2, through his Holy Spirit, is enabling them to make this powerful proclamation of the gospel in many languages, the many languages that were present. And people are hearing the gospel in their own language. And there was such evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in the church that some of the people actually thought they were what drunk yeah somehow they made fun of them and they said this they've had too much wine then peter stood up with the 11 raised his voice and addressed the crowd same peter that denied a few pages earlier in your bible right fellow jews all of you who live in jerusalem let me explain listen carefully to what i say these people are not drunk, as you suppose. And he says, it's only nine in the morning. It's not even time for that, if, even if they were to do that, right? Uh, but he, he stands up. and he says, they're not drunk. This is the, 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 the Holy Spirit is at work. And there's this boldness that proclaims that the, maybe wouldn't have been there apart from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God permeates and controls and the presence of God shows up. Why would these people think they're drunk? Well, you need to know something. something deeper going on, because it would not have been uncommon in their day and age for different religious ceremonies for, for them to be experienced by people getting drunk. In fact, the audience Paul is talking to would have had this as their context. And, and I don't have time to read all this to you, but if you, you want some good reading, you got to read this. The greatest god of ancient myth- mythology was probably known as Uh, Zeus, that's his Greek name, uh, Jupiter, Roman name, and other names. And and the legend of this further goes on uh, that you can see that it's a satanic counterfeit to the story of Jesus and the Spirit of God. Um, This myth claimed that somehow Zeus caused the goddess Samil uh, to become pregnant without having contact with her. You can kind of see the parallel, virgin birth, right? And then Samil decided that she had a right to see the father of her child and while it was still in her womb. She approached Zeus only to be incinerated by his glory. Before it could be destroyed, Zeus snatched the unborn child from her womb and then sewed it into his thigh, where it continued to develop until birth. The infant god was named Dionysius. Uh, and was destined by Zeus to become ruler of the earth uh, the story goes on y'all check me on this it's fascinating right the legend further says that when the titans who inhabited the earth heard of Zeus's plan they stole the baby Dionysius and tore him from limb to limb again the child was rescued by his father Zeus who swallowed Dionysius's heart and miraculously recreated him Zeus then struck the Titans with lightning, reducing them to ashes, from which was raised the human race. This is all fascinating, right? As ruler of this new race, Dionysius developed a religion of uh, ascendancy, whereby human beings could rise to a level of divine consciousness. His system, he devised, this is all legend, myth, was comprised of wild music, frenzied dancing, sexual perversion, bodily mutilation, eating of raw flesh of the sacrificial bulls, and drunkenness. Dionysius became known as the god of the wine. The intoxicating drink was important for them to experience the ecstasy, the spiritual ecstasy or high in their worship. It was characterized by wild dancing, singing, drinking, and revelry. You see, drinking and getting drunk was associated with this ritual, ancient, religious form of worship. Faithful followers of Dionysus would would literally get drunk on wine to achieve spiritual ecstasy that uh, that, that would lead to all kinds of depravity, sexual perversion, and it also would leave the worshipers empty and wanting more. You're saying, Dan, why are you telling us all that? Well, uh, some of us would say, we're not in a cult. We're not doing that. But we can become addicted, even in our religion, to counterfeit spirits and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. We get drunk on other things. You may not turn to alcohol to salve your heart or achieve some form of spiritual ecstasy or high, but it is possible for you to get drunk on other things that contrast to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Many people, maybe you can relate to this, get drunk on emotionalism. And so they go from one Christian event to the other and they just look for these emotional highs, and they come down, they got to have another high, and we get drunk on the, the emotionalism. Others get drunk on intellectualism. I just want to know more. It never changed my life, but I, I want the facts. Some get drunk on celebrityism. Lots of Christian celebrities, and so I read everything this author, I go to every concert this artist, Uh, I I listen to every podcast this speaker. Uh, We get drunk on legalism if I just keep all the rules and become very, very moral. And I think what Paul was saying, stay with me on this, is the only thing that will lead to the fruit of Jesus' presence in our life and the power to fulfill the mission of Jesus through our life is to be filled constantly aware of, permeated with and controlled by the very presence of the God who has taken up residence in our life. So it begs the question, okay, how does that happen? How do I fill the Holy Spirit? It's a great question. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is a matter of learning to live with the Holy Spirit who indwells, who is present in my life. There is someone else living in me and someone else is always with me. Think about this. You are, if you're a follower of Jesus listening to me right now, you are never alone. You are never alone. Tell yourself that. Say it out loud. I am never alone. Jesus says that the spirit of God lives inside and it makes all the difference. So how do I be filled with the spirit? Well, I think then we can kind of branch out from Ephesians 5. He says, don't be drunk on wine, be filled with the spirit, permeated by, controlled by, constantly aware of. Well, how does that happen? Well, let's just take a step out and we just kind of broaden it. He says the verse right before it, he says, I don't want you to be foolish. Do not be foolish. Don't be stupid. Don't be naive. Don't be ignorant. But understand what the Lord's will is. He says, if if I want to somehow be filled with the Spirit, I got to know what the Lord's will is. I got I don't want to be ignorant of the Lord's will. Well, how do I know what the Lord's will is? I know the Lord's will as the Spirit of God illuminates the Word of God that elevates the Son of God in my life. That, you got to write that down somewhere. I, I, I literally am able to discern... Uh, The will of God as the Spirit of God illuminates, brings to life the Word of God in my life in a way that elevates the Son of God in my life. And the more the Spirit of God and I live together, the more I'll understand His Word as He brings it to life. Uh, Maybe if you're taking notes, you could write it down this way. Maybe it's a good way to... Being filled with the Holy Spirit happens as I discern and respond to the will of God for my life. Now, how does that happen? Well, the Spirit of God lives inside. It makes me think this. When when uh, I was in my early 20s, I was a bachelor. I was dating Jennifer, and uh, we each had our own place, uh, clear up until we got married. Uh, God's designed for marriage. And uh, while we were dating, and even while we were engaged, we would spend time together, always enjoy it. But I'd always go back to my apartment. She'd always go back to her apartment. And I'm going to tell you, I had a a sweet apartment, man. I mean, it was the consummate bachelor pad. I lived with two other fellows. I mean, the place was awesome, right? Uh, I can't remember any plants being in the place. We had a few lights, only the necessary ones. We had posters for wall hangings. Posters of our favorite athletes or whatever it might be, right? I mean, it was the consummate bachelor pad. But then November 4th, 1989, I said yes to Jennifer. I married Jennifer she became my wife and when she did she took up permanent residence with me and when she did can I just say this things changed (laughs) I mean when she came and lived she came to where my apartment was and lived there were things that changed when she came in she began to look around she's like there's some things gotta move out Like that old Walter Payton poster, that Larry Bird poster, I ain't going to cut it. Like we got to move out some things, right? And I remember looking at those things and we took some of those things down and then we're going to move in some things. Uh, Like furniture for one, (laughs) right? Uh, Maybe a few smelly candles would have been good, (laughs) right? We're going to bring in some plants. Uh, We're going to bring in some pots and pans because we're going to do some cooking, right? Uh, What happened when my wife moved in, there were things that she said, we're going to move this out. And there are things that we moved in, so we set up our, made our home together. You see, when the Holy Spirit of God resides within, uh, he moves in and there's things he moves out and there's things he moves in. Can I tell you this, that my home today looks different than my apartment did when I was 25? My 25-year-old self would not recognize the home I live in. Man, it smells good, looks good. I like it. I love it. You see, the more I'm aware that I'm not alone, that the Holy Spirit of God is living in me, the more I discern his will. And the more I discern his will through his word, the more I respond by moving things out of my life that will, that, that are not his will and moving things into my life that are his obvious stated will. Just look at what he says in earlier in Ephesians. He says, I say this, testify in the Lord, you must no longer, is moving things out, walk as the Gentiles do. They're in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God. There's an ignorance in them. Their hearts are hard. They have become callous, and they've given themselves over to sensuality, greed, uh, and they're practicing all kinds of impurity. But that is not the way you learned, he says. Uh, he said, you do, you, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off, move out your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is, cons- is corrupt through deceitful desires and renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. The minute the Holy Spirit moves in, there's a remodeling that takes place. He's moving in new things. He's moving out old things. The Holy Spirit preaches the gospel to me every day and he reminds me of who I am. He illuminates to me the truth of God's word. He dials in reality for me and old attitudes get replaced with new ones. Old habits get replaced with new ones. Old behaviors get replaced with new ones. Old mindsets get replaced with new ones. And, and if you have your Bible open, and, and I recommend you do, can I show you a couple of these? He says this. Uh, here, he, he, this is the Holy Spirit moving things out, moving things in. He says, verse twenty-five, Ephesians four. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. He said, I want, I want you to move out falsehood, anything deceptive, any hypocrisy, and I want you to speak truthfully. I want integrity to move in. I want honest, honesty to move in. I want truthfulness to take up residence. Uh, On further down, he says, here's what I want you to move out. I want you to move out any unwholesome talk. I don't want any of that coming out of your mouths. But what I want you to move in is any kind of talk that is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I want you to move out any kind of talk that cuts others down, gossip. Uh, I want you to slander, negativity, Uh, unnecessary cynicism and sarcasm, and I want you to move in the kind of talk that's encouraging, that's edifying, that builds others up. How about this? He says, I want you to move out all bitterness, rage, and anger. I want the angry spirit that decorates the walls of your life gone, brawling and slander and all kinds of malice. And here's what I want you to move in. Be kind. Why? Because God was kind to you. Be compassionate. Why? Because in the gospel, you've experienced the compassion and love of God. And then forgiving each other. I want you to move out unforgiveness. Because when the Holy Spirit moves in, he says, these are the things I want you to move out. And I want you to move in some things. Forgiving each other, just as God in Christ forgave you. On further down in Ephesians 5, he says this, I want you... Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. He says, I want you to move that out, and I want you to move in sexual purity. That God's very clear stated will is this, is that any kind of sex outside of marriage, experienced or glorified outside of marriage, is not God's will. And so when the Holy Spirit resides within, if, if, if I'm in a relationship where we're having sex, but we're not married, I'm going to move out in immor- morality, sexual immorality. And I'm going to move in sexual purity. Why? Holy Spirit resides within. We're remodeling. Which makes it interesting what he says right in the middle of this whole thing. He says, do not what? Say it with me. Grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. You see, I, I don't. if I'm following Christ, it's not like I lose the Holy Spirit, but I can grieve him. It begs the basic question. Uh, when, when you look at your life, uh, I'm curious, are you full of the Holy Spirit? Is he moving stuff in and moving stuff out, remodeling your life? Are you putting on the new self and putting off the old? Or are you grieving him? Well, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, it's not even paying attention that he lives with us. Imagine I would grieve my wife if I just ignored her in my home. And we grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't even think about him. Sixty percent of church don't even think about it. He says, don't grieve. He, 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 he resides. I think we grieve the Holy Spirit by not listening to what he says, by ignoring what we hear him say. Uh, we can grieve him by by never paying attention to what he says, having no idea what the Word of God says. But I think on the same plane is we can know what the Word of God says and just ignore it. Decide that we're not going to do it. He says don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He says I want you to be filled with the Spirit and I want you to, to be filled with the Spirit and discern and respond, move in and move out. he is living in you it's it's not just like hey get rid of these behaviors it's like listening to the one who resides in you as the word of god is spoken to you and it always is going to elevate the son of god that's not all he says though if we step even one step back he says yeah i want you i want you not to be foolish understand the lord's will but he says be very careful then how you live circumspect Uh, not as unwise. I don't want you to be foolish or unwise, but as wise. Well, how do I be wise? Making the most of every opportunity. Uh, Literally, when you look, it's fascinating in the Greek, you can forget this, but it's like literally be observing accurately your life and how you live it. Right? Uh, That's why being filled with the Spirit is dialing in to reality, listening to God as he explains what is real seeing what I don't see apart from God, right? Uh, I think it, if you taking notes, being filled with the Holy Spirit happens as I develop the impulse of wisdom. I get the eyes of God, the heart of God in my life. Paul says, don't live flippantly. Uh, live carefully, circumspectly. He says, don't be unwise, live wise. And he says, the the." the How do I determine if if I'm doing that? Make the most of every opportunity. He's saying being filled with the Holy Spirit is being so aware of his presence in your life, so controlled by his presence in your life that you don't look at your life the same. That when the Holy Spirit takes up residence, he remodels, but wisdom is he repurposes. That as I discern the will of God, I begin to respond to it. And I I develop over time the impulse of wisdom, the heart of God. Uh, I, I begin to see things from God's perspective. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Don't you know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You, you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Uh, to, to live wisely, I'm going to ask myself, Am I honoring God with whatever I'm doing? Am I honoring God sexually? Am I honoring God relationally? Am I honoring God? Like when the spirit of God resides, all of a sudden we become the address for God inside of us. I love what Psalm says, uh, says teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The question here isn't always right or wrong. Is it right or wrong? Am I allowed to do this or not allowed? The question, the better question might be, is it wise or unwise? Is it necessary? Is it beneficial? Is it loving? Is it honoring to God? Am I making the most of every opportunity with my life? I'm not my own. Am I making the most of the opportunity in this relationship? Am I making the most of the opportunity in this circumstance? Am I wasting my life or am I investing my life? And what happens over time is we discern and respond and live out and make the most of We develop the impulse of wisdom that realizes the Holy Spirit of God in us wants to do some things through us. He's remodeling us. He's repurposing us. He's reminding us of who we are in Christ. He's reminding us of what we have in Christ. And so how do I be filled with the Spirit? I am constantly aware of his presence, so the way i'm permeated with his presence i'm constantly listening and i'm moving in moving out i'm constantly listening and making the most of and i'm developing this impulse this instinct of wisdom that wants the heart of god to beat with my heart and sink and the way it looks is this is the way that god's spirit does that is he illuminates brings to life the word of god in my life in a way that elevates the son of god and the way you know that You're beginning to be filled with the Spirit is there's more of Jesus, less of you. That's the best way I know to say it. There's more of Jesus, less of you. Like being filled with the Spirit isn't going out and rolling around laughing and like that somehow that's it. But being filled with the Spirit shows up as there's more of Jesus, less of you. We're going to spend all summer talking about some of that, Which, which leads to this. I just want to stay in Ephesians if we can. What are some of the results of being filled with the Spirit? And if you have your Bibles, I want to so go, go. We went verse 18, and then be kind of out. And I want to go even further out, because after he says, "Don't be drunk with wine," instead be filled with the Spirit. There are several participles clear to the rest of the, the rest of the book to the end of the book of Ephesians that I think help us understand. Okay, what what's the consequence? What's the impact? What's the result? What does it look like when a group of people are filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm glad you asked. I don't have anything written other than I'm going to show you the verses. Five or six participles that are here. First, he says this, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. He says, when, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be speaking to one another differently. He says, I want you to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. What's up with that? Does that mean next time we see each other and say, hey, what's up, Festus? Uh, amazing. Do we start singing? You know, is that how we say? No. I think what he's saying is we're going to just talk different to each other. Like when I'm filled with the Spirit, there's a texture to my conversation. There's a depth to my communication that goes beyond how are the Browns doing? What's the weather like? Praise God we can have conversation beyond that in northeastern Ohio. Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen. Yeah. But, but there's this texture to our conversation. The songs of God remind us of the presence of God. The songs and hymns of God remind us of the power of God. Uh, These songs from the Spirit keep reminding us of the promises of God, the perspective of God, the patience of God, the purposes of God. And so our conversation will flow from being permeated with the Holy Spirit, controlled by the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. When you read the Holy Spirit's ministry in the life of the believer, he is a helper. So living inside of me is a helper. So my conversation with my brothers and sisters here at Grace Church or or brothers and sisters in the church worldwide is, is when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit who is the helper, I want my conversation to be helpful. I'm going to say things that are helpful. I'm going to say things that are going to build up, not tear down. I'm going to say things that are going to do what the Holy Spirit does. He's the comforter. So my conversation is going to bring comfort, reminding of the promises of God, reminding of the presence of God. I think that's what he's saying. Like when we're filled with the Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit begins to flow in our conversation. And sometimes it's going to remind brothers and sisters of the truth or others are going to remind me of the truth. Uh, he's the counselor sometimes it's going to be simply reminding them of his work his comfort his presence in their life in a way that shines the lights bright on jesus you see we're going to speak to each other differently Uh, he says this singing and making music what's it look like well it's being filled with the holy spirit results in singing one commentator I read this said that the second most commanded Christian practice in the Bible is singing. Think about this. It's interesting. If you come to our gathering on any particular Sunday, you'll find several hundred people uh, in each service just singing, just clapping, some of them raising their hands, right? Where else are you going to find a bunch of people singing, laughing, uh, raising their hands in celebration? Well, probably a concert. And it might even be a concert where, I don't know, a lot of the people are drunk. I don't know. But people who are filled with the Spirit, he places a song in their heart. Job 38 says that at the creation, the angels sang and shouted for joy at the creation of the universe, seeing what God created. God's story ends with and culminates around the throne of Jesus. Every tribe, tongue, race, language, singing and shouting to the one who redeemed us. In the meantime, those of us who've been regenerated by, sealed by, are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, have a song. Have a song. That's interesting to me. Sundays, when we sing, we don't get together in order to try to coach people to sing. It is a gathering of people who have a song in their heart. Now, you might be saying, well, I'm not a good singer. I'm not either. I stood beside a guy one time. He said to me after we had sang several songs, he leaned over, and he felt like he needed to share this with me. He said, you want to know something? When you sing, you sound like a dead horse. First of all, I didn't feel very edified. That was not necessary, right? And also, I thought a dead horse makes no noise. But he wasn't very complimentary. But I saw this interesting passage that uh, sometimes when you sing... Uh, and you sing beside, and you're standing beside somebody who's really good singer. It gives you confidence because you can hear your voice through their voice, and you're like, man, it's kind of overpowering. In fact, I, I read somewhere this week that in these barbershop quartets, uh, that when all of it blends together, there's this thing they call the fifth voice, that 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 the sum is greater than the parts, right? And so when you're singing with somebody or somebody's really good beside you, you give a confidence, and you even feel I sound better than I normally do. Hebrews too. The one who makes people holy, Jesus, the one who and those who are made holy are the same family. He is in our family. We are in his family. So Jesus isn't ashamed to call me his brother and call you his sister, his brother, whatever it might be. And he says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. And in the assembly, I will sing your praises. It's kind of like we get to stand beside Jesus singing praises, right? And I'm gonna sound good singing with Jesus. See, when I'm filled with the Spirit, we're going to talk different. There's going to be this, this um, song that, that kind of emanates from our heart. We're not coaxing people. Uh, we're not twisting arms. It's not the, the, the emotionalism uh, quivering my liver. Uh, that's why it always interests me. Some people are like, oh, I, I don't like that kind of, or I you know. Here's the deal. When you're filled with the Spirit, there's a song in your heart. And that's different than saying, I like this kind of music or that kind of music. He says, always giving thanks. You see that? To God the Father and everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can only do this full of the Holy Spirit. To thank God for everything, always. That's not normal. But only when the Holy Spirit is illuminating the word of God, you realize I'm going to count it all joy when I face trials of many kinds, because I know that those trials are working for me something greater. That, that the spirit of God is reminding me that he is working all things out for the good of those who belong to him, that he who began the good work in me will continue it on. That's why Paul could say he had both joy and tears at the same time. I remember going to a counselor in Indiana when I was going through an awful, a terrible time. And I remember his question to me. He says, have you thanked God for this? And it made me mad. I wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit at that time. Like, I haven't thanked God for this. I said, and then I looked at him and said, why would I thank God for this? And this is what he said to me. He said, best near as I can tell, when God wants to sharpen a knife, he doesn't run it through butter. He puts it between a rock and a hard place. And all of a a sudden, I saw that this very difficult thing, he had reminded me of some scriptures the Holy Spirit brought to life in me. And I'm like, listen, I don't like what I went through, but I am thankful that God is at work. He's sharpening the knife, so to speak. He's doing something. Then he says this, do you see this? He says, submitting to one another. Submitting to one another uh, out of reverence, worship to Christ. I'm free to serve you when I don't have to constantly be filling up my ego. Uh, One author, I think it was Tim Keller, said in his book, Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, you ought to read it, uh, but he says that we all walk around with these big, empty egos and we look for ways to fill them. That's why pride takes over. That's why I got to make sure people know that I'm the big deal. But when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, he reminds me who I am in Christ. And when I'm filled, I'm free to serve. And you know what he says? He says, I want you to submit to one another. And then he gives illustrations of where this plays out. If you want to know where the filling of the Holy Spirit plays out, husbands, it plays out in the way that you relate with your wife, leading and loving her sacrificially, leading her as a servant, just like Jesus, more of Jesus, less of you. Wives, it shows up in the way you love and respect and help your husband to become the man of God that God desires him to be. That's where a feeling of the spirit shows up. It's not like I'm laughing, this crazy laugh I'm speaking and It shows up in the way you are married. It shows up in parents who are coaching and disciplining and discipling their kids in love, bringing them up in the admonition of the Lord, reminding them of the truths of what God says about them, sharing with them the power and profundity of the gospel staying engaged allowing the holy spirit of god to direct their parenting shows up in kids who are obeying and honoring their parents it shows up in bosses who are taking care of their employees shows up employees who are working hard for their bosses doing it as unto the lord and then he says this i mean he just keeps going and i can only touch on these quickly he says that being filled with the spirit is finally being empowered in the lord And in his mighty strength to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Like people who are filled with the Spirit are are empowered to take their stand against Satan. Not simply the temptations that he's throwing at us individually, but his agenda and the way he's working in the world that we realize our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not culture. It's not Hollywood. That's not our enemy. Our enemy is not the people on the other side of the aisle, but our enemy is Satan. And being filled with the Spirit, I'm aware of my enemy and I can take my stand. And he tells the armor of God, I'm being empowered by the Spirit of God to take my stand, to stand strong in the days that might be evil, to stand strong in the days when things seem to be going crazy because I am standing in the power of the Holy Spirit who is resides in me and I am filled with the Spirit. And then the last thing, and this is where I end, it's, he says, and praying in the Spirit on all occasions, that if you want to know you're filled with the Spirit. It's, it's like, I'm going to communicate. I'm going to talk. Sometimes I don't even know what to say to God. The Spirit of God knows what to say when I'm not sure. I'm bringing to Him all kinds of prayers and requests. And then He says, with this in mind, I want you to be alert. Always keep on praying. It's not just selfish prayer. Sometimes you just pray for me, but for all the Lord's people. Uh, will you pray for me? I'll pray for you. Will you pray for us? We'll pray for you. It's not just selfish. Being filled with the Spirit is, I'm going to be praying for you. And then Paul says, Would you pray that when I speak, words may be given me so that I may fearlessly make known the gospel? Those who are filled with the Spirit are praying. They're praying in such a way that they are praying that the gospel would be fearlessly made known, that Jesus would make sense to people who don't know him. Would you pray that way for me? I want to pray that way for you. I want to pray that you'll fearlessly make known the good news of Jesus. Can I ask you this? Are you, is the hound of heaven chasing you? Is he? Is he chasing you? Have you ever said yes to Jesus? He loves you. He died for you. And right there, wherever you're at, your cup of coffee in hand, you can bow your head and say, God, I believe you love me. And I believe Jesus died for me. In this moment today, I want to give my heart and life to Jesus. Here's the deal. If you prayed that prayer, I want him to be my Savior and my Lord. If you made that prayer personal, I'd love to hear from you. Here's what happens the Spirit of God dwells inside. You're sealed, part of the family of God. You're baptized, immersed into the family of God. But here's the deal. We're going to do baptisms here, water baptisms, June 25th. If you've never been baptized, it's just a public demonstration of what you've done. Many of you have said yes to Jesus. Can can I just ask you this? Don't have time to flesh this out. Other than to say, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? No, no, no. Are you filled? I know he lives inside. Are you filled? Does your house, the house of who you are, look different today than it did 25 years ago? 10 years ago? 5 years ago? Last week? Because he's constantly wanting to move things in and move things out. And he wants to repurpose our life so that we make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So God, I pray that you would help us to be careful how we live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And I pray, God, that you would help us not to be foolish but to discern what your will is so that instead of getting drunk and intoxicated with all kinds of things, We'd be filled with the spirit of God so that that would permeate us and control us so that it would flow from us. That's my prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I love you guys. And I look forward to seeing you guys uh, next week. I hope you'll just keep tuning in. Come visit us, but I hope you have a great day. God bless you.